Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Really, there are quite a number of queer themes in Man of La Mancha that obviously I don't think were the original intent, but Hmm. that really digging into it and thinking about the story, I think really can relate to a queer audience as well. Oh, that's cool. Please point those out. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are discussing the classic musical Man of La Mancha, which was a listener request from today's guest. (laughs) By the way, if you're trying to get on this show, pitch me an episode about a musical written before 1970. (laughs) Anyway, I am delighted, delighted with a capital D to welcome... The glam winner for Best Cabaret, not to mention the Broadway bimbo of NYC. Everyone, please welcome the incredible, incomparable, and musically talented with a big old Batma, Kiki Ball Change. Yay! Now, of course, Kiki is here, but if Kiki is the Don Quixote of... (laughs) Of NYC, then I'm speaking to the Alonso Quijana, also known as Gabe. Hi, Gabe. Yes. Hi, how are you? A seasoned musical theater performer. Are you, you know, weaponizing your BFA in musical theater? Of course I am. That was honestly the greatest gift to musical theater drag queens that that twink could have given us. So (laughs) I'm um, very happy to weaponize my BFA every day. Fantastic. So talk to me about theater life and how that led to to drag. Yeah, well, I started performing um, when I was seven. Um, My first show was Oliver. Um, I I feel like it's a good entry point for sure. It is a good entry. That Oliver for Boys and Annie for Girls is like a classic, classic (laughs) like intro for kids. Yeah, I, I've been performing since I was seven. Um, I was in like a show choir for 10 years. I did Cute. drama all through high school and community theater. And then when I went to college, I got my BFA and I worked Okay, wait, where are you from, that. OG? Yeah. Oh, you I'm from? from Pensacola, Florida. Um, Florida? If you know where that is. Yeah, uh-huh. nice. if you've ever heard of Matt Gates, the congressman, he represents where I'm from. 
So that tells me anything about the surrounding area that but I grew hey, up you in. you had some community um, theater. I did. Well, I will say Pensacola itself is kind of like a small little haven in the in the grand red of the Florida panhandle. But, you know, it's little still blueberry. that being said it. Yeah, it's still Florida, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, of so and it was it wasn't the fun part. I always whenever people hear I'm from Florida, they always think I'm from like Miami, Miami. or Tampa or Orlando, you know. And I always have to be the one to sadly tell them I'm not from any of the really cool places that But man, they that's would a know. it's a good it, and Pensacola is a great like comedy button. Pensacola. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lots of consonants. And like the the airplane code is PNS, so you know oh, you have gosh. a lot of fun with that one. Uh huh. Right. So there was always like the penis cola and you know the pep, you know, whatever Pepsi cola, <laughs> whatever you want to call heavens. it. That's where I'm from. You told me when we when we first started chatting that you have done Man of La Mancha a couple times. So I've like, done it three times. Yeah, which is so bizarre. Like it's the same. Yes. Like I did. I did back to back productions, different productions of, of Annie Get Your Gun. Like I don't know why <laughs> it happens the way that it happens. But how it did was a really went... great few years for Man of La Mancha. I guess yeah. I don't know. Everyone was doing it, and, and I capitalized it, on it. Was it all in Florida? All of these productions? Oh no, the first one was at um, Jean's Playhouse in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Um, I'm not sure if it's still called Jean's Playhouse or not, because it went through a couple different names. But it was Jean's Playhouse in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Then I did my second one at, uh, now I can't remember that name of the theater, but that was in Sonora. Sonora. It's been a while since I've, yeah, Sonora, California. Oh my gosh, is Sierra Rep? Yes, it was Sierra Rep. That's it. Uh, That's Um, hilarious. That was was a really interesting one. We did it with a nine-person cast. Um, and then oh, the third time I did it, I did it at uh, Sacramento Theater Company. Okay, see? So y- you know the ins and outs of this show for sure. Very, very well, yes. My experience with Man of La Mancha is a little um, surreal in that I often have these memories of seeing the Brian Stokes Mitchell revival, but I never saw the Brian Stokes Mitchell revival. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I saw the Brian Stokes Mitchell revival of Kiss Me Kate, and there it, it can kind of feel similar. And so, yeah, you know, Golden Age musicals like how I blend together. Yeah, and also like matinee idol type star. And so mm. I sometimes have these thoughts of like, oh no, I've seen Man of La Mancha, and then I was like, no, I don't think I've seen Man of La Mancha. But that being said, it's always in my brain like one of the classics, right up there Mm -hmm. with Music Man, Fiddler on the Roof, Man of La Mancha. And if for no other reason, because of the impossible dream, like you cannot not hear that song, right? Especially if you grew up with parents or grandparents who loved musical theater. So yeah, that's like one of the rare songs I feel like of the 60s where like Broadway was kind of the pop music that kind of really has transcended into like mainstay popular like, music song yeah that everyone kind of knows whether you know man of la mancha or not yeah but it's interesting though because as i as i started prepping for this episode i started looking at the different musicals that came out the same broadway season as man of la mancha i started looking into the composer mitch lee and all of a sudden i realized <laughs> that man of la mancha is a counterculture musical. It, came it really out in, is. It came out in 1965, so like mm-hmm. we're only a couple of years away from hair. 
It's from the same Broadway season as Mame and Sweet Charity. And when you look at all three of those musicals, they have something in common, which is this lead character who is choosing to see the world differently than society wants them to look at it. Mm-hmm. And the kind of miraculous thing about Man of La Mancha is that it managed to have that kind of counterculture hippie message while also evoking the Music Man, which was 10 years before, and was wholly embraced by the people who maybe felt that this message wasn't part of their generation. Like, what a huge accomplishment to get multi-generations all behind this message because of the way you're telling the story. Pretty impressive. And I think at the time it was pretty um, groundbreaking for it being kind of a show within a show um, as well. And it ran for, I think, like about five or six years on Broadway. It transferred Insane. a couple times. But but like for that show to run as long as it did, I think it was over 2,000 or 3,000 performances in yeah, its over Broadway 2000. run. It was revived like two more times within the next decade. And then I think like once more in the 90s and then with Brian Stokes Mitchell in the early 2000s. Like it is just like a show that resonates with so many people from, you know, I sometimes I tell people I did the show three times and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Man of La Mancha. Yeah, and I'm like, I no, roll. it's really it's truly one of my favorite shows that I've ever done. And, mm. you know, really, it, it deserves its place in, in the, the list of great musicals of of especially the 60s but really of all time because it just like its messages are so resonant with every kind of generation you know regardless of what decade you grew up yeah i love that i'm hoping that as we go through the show and and the characters today that we can really look at some of these things that feel mm, i don't want to say groundbreaking but maybe even a little edgy uh because Mm -hmm. it it deserves to be seen as a little more groundbreaking than I think we we traditionally uh, hold it up to be. Let's first talk about this dude, Miguel de Cervantes, who wrote the novel Don Quixote. Yes. We're talking, <laughs> this is maybe the furthest back we've ever gone in history. We're going back <laughs> to like the 1500s is mm-hmm. when Miguel de Cervantes was alive and writing both poetry, plays, and novels. And his novel, Don Quixote, which became groundbreaking because it was widely considered the first modern novel. Mm-hmm. Simply because, and by the way, Spaniard, so it was written in Spanish, but it was mm-hmm. written in modern Spanish in a, in a time when modern language wasn't really even considered worth writing in. You know, there was mm-hmm. how you spoke and then how you wrote. And mm-hmm. he was actually fusing those two together in a very real big way. Now, this guy, what do you know about him? Do you know do you know anything about him because we he's yeah. a character in Man of La Mancha, but Man of La Mancha the musical is not his story, nor is it really no. the musical version of Don Quixote. It's kind of like no. this combination it's a of the mashup. two. Yeah, it's very different um than the original novel. Um I took Spanish in high school for a couple of years and one of our lessons was about um, I Don, or Don Quixote, and mm-hmm. we watched the, I believe there's like a movie version of it, 
mm-hmm. that we watched, or honestly, not. Was I remember, it the musical maybe, version with like I was gonna Sophia say, maybe Loren? It was, yeah, I was gonna say maybe it was just Man of La Mancha. I don't even know if it was a movie version. By the way, I love that I was like Man of La Mancha the movie, you know, starring <laughs> Sophia Loren. Like, forget. <laughs> Forget Peter O'Toole. It's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> Sophia Loren's movie. I mean, she she is like, you know, a goddess. But um, so I, you know, we learned a little bit about it then and, you know, the time that it took to write the novel. And there was mm. a second part that took about a decade later to come out with. I don't know much about him aside the fact that he was, you know, a great writer and, and wrote Don Quixote. But that's about it. Um, yeah. And that he lived in Spain. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing is that all of the other details about his life are kind of unknown because he lived so freaking long ago. Like mm-hmm. there's there's not a whole lot that can be like even to the down to his birth year. It, it's a it's a really really good guess at this point. Yeah. But there are a couple of things we know. The enti- I mean all of Europe was just in constant war during this time. And so serving in some sort of military was part of your life and and we do know that he fought for spain then he went to italy and fought in the war there got injured came back to spain all during this whole ottoman empire michigas right Mm -hmm. and through all of that he is also a writer he's also a poet and i don't know about you but i think about like being in a world where you were um, a soldier and also a drag queen. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't think we can even imagine they that kind of world. somewhere in the world right now, I'm sure. You know, where exactly. Like, you're, those two things, simply because of the world's circumstances, are living in your body at the same time. So it makes sense that this person, who from all accounts seems like <laughs> an interesting dude, comes up with this story of this guy, you know, Don Quixote, who, if you will, Don Quixote is the drag persona Mm -hmm. of this guy named Alonzo, who doesn't really have much in his life, but a dream of what life could be in terms of chivalry, in terms of goodness and, and making the world a better place. And so he decides to become this knight, even though knights haven't existed for, for many, many, many years. He decides to become this knight and, uh, and go around the world as though he is a knight, despite everyone around him either judging him for it or going out of their way to help him continue his charade. And I think I, while you were talking, I just had a thought that I think it is interesting that, you know, like you said, it was a time of really great chaos in Europe and I think we see over and over again in times that like the world seems uncertain that humans and artists kind of go to the absurd or the imaginary or the fantastical to kind of escape from the horrors of the world and we see that you know even now where you know we have lived through a pandemic and we're living through kind of a lot of chaos politically and I feel like art is kind of moving toward this like escapism again. Yeah. Can can we please have a good time? Yeah, yeah, please. Hey listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. 
It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50. That's musical theater with an ER. And use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chompacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. A couple of other things that we need to talk about before we actually go through the show. Uh, we got to talk about Richard Kiley, right? Who was the original Don Quixote in, in the musical Man of La Mancha. Mm-hmm. He is somebody that we don't really talk about because uh, unless we talk about Man of La Mancha because <laughs> it was his role. It was his theater role. And it was every much, it, he was every bit, you know, Don Quixote as Yul Brynner was considered the king and the king and I as Carol Channing was considered Dolly Levi. Mm-hmm. He was known for this role. Uh, like you said, it, it ran for over 2000 performances and he became so iconically tied to it that it has been one of the difficult things about remounting it and bringing it to new audiences is like who's going to play this role because it was kind of made perfectly for this one dude mm-hmm. um what i do read you... originally it was supposed to be um i can't remember his name but the person from my fair lady yeah uh, uh, uh rex harrison oh my gosh mm. there it is originally it's supposed to be the... but he couldn't sing it right yeah, he, it was too demanding, I think, for the role. Um, but I think what's interesting about the composers, at, or the composer, the lyricist, the book writer, and obviously the main actors, it is such an incredible show that you would hope, like, maybe they had written something else, you know, that that was also great, or they were known for something else down the line, but it really was just Man of La Mancha. And the fact yeah. that it's just stuck around so long, just that one show... You know, if you're going to make one show that sticks around for a while and that's the only thing you do, then why not be Man of La Mancha? Might as well. Exactly. Well, and it's not like they didn't try. Uh, Mitchley yeah. wrote uh, Home Sweet Homer, which <laughs> uh, was based on the Iliad and is a famous mm-hmm. flop. Uh, it has some great songs, but yeah, nothing really caught on like this little show did. And I think that's the other thing that I forget is that this wasn't a huge huge show you know it's very Mm -hmm. theatrical it played a smaller uh, venue it isn't the huge production and it was all one act originally there was no intermission we got a 90 no here people yeah and it's from (laughs) the 1960s how cool (laughs) is that so true all in all a really fascinating show from 
a really fascinating piece of history because this the the novel Don Quixote has been translated so many times and put into so many different things. And um, I last night I read the original New York Times review of Man Ooh. of La Mancha. And it was so interesting because it seemed very protective of the intellectual property of, don't worry, they haven't ruined Don Quixote. Like that was basically mm. the review. So uh, this seemed to be a story that many people regarded as one of the greatest stories ever told. And people were worried that it was going that you know they were going to massacre it by turning into a musical so see mm-hmm. like <laughs> nothing's new <laughs> <laughs> never i i feel like that is definitely even the culture that we live in now yeah i mean look at devil wears prada <laughs> uh which i mean to be clear i'm sure that devil wears prada is as good as man of la mancha <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um okay so let's go through the show um, okay starting out at the top We got to like set a lot of layers here for Mm -hmm. this show. It all takes place in a prison or is it, is it a prison or is it like the waiting room of the prison? And every one I've done, it's always kind of like it is a prison, but it's kind of like a communal, like the bulk of the action takes place in like the communal area. And then there are also like different rooms and caves, like, off stage that you imagine are like where people go to sleep or hang out, but they're all kind of waiting to be uh, questioned by the Spanish Inquisition for their exactly. crimes. So, so they're the, not necessarily in cells, but they are in prison. And that's a really important thing. This this whole thing takes place in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition, which once again doesn't really have anything to do with the novel Don Quixote or even Miguel de Cervantes' life. But uh, the Spanish Inquisition being this time when, what, basically like the Catholic Church really wanted to be in charge of everything. And so yeah. they were putting anyone on trial to make to make sure that they were in power. Yeah. That, and remember how I said that it, it relates. Yeah. And, and, and this is right off the bat, my first point about queer themes is look at where oh, we are hello. today with with politicians and religious, you know, extremists, you know, looking for people to single out and and question and, you know, uh, uh, vilify. What's the word? vilify, yeah, vilify people who they believe are against their religion or against their politics. Um, you know, especially the queer community right now, drag performers and trans people are constantly under attack by, you know, right-wing extremist and so i think like right off the bat whether it's about queer people or just about you know you can look at mccarthyism in the 50s or any Mm -hmm. time where like the government is is putting people who simply disagree with the government or maybe don't align with the government's you know ideals of what a person should be or how they should act and vilifying them and putting them on trial. And so I think, you know, that is part of the reason that right off the bat, you start with a scene that that can relate to many different generations. Um, And the whole thing, while, you know, the whole show goes on, you have to remember that the show within a show, the entire time they are in this prison. And so there's always that fear. And, you know, the captain of the Inquisition comes back a couple of times. There's always that fear kind of hanging in the air, even over the show it within Mm. the show there's always kind of that darkness looming over everything yeah you know we it we never leave the jail we never leave 
you know, we put on costumes and ha- the lights change and, you know, we make props out of what's in the prison, but we are still in a prison. And so I think mm. it's important to remember that that is always the scene. There's mm. always the dread and the looming waiting. I think one of the directors that of one of the productions of Man of the Munch I was in, that was really a big point they made was we're all waiting to be tried, possibly killed or, you know, in prison for the rest of our lives. And so that also is why the story kind of brings everyone. And why I said earlier about, you know, fantastic reality, escapism, you know, it helps them escape their circumstance. Yeah. Oh, so true. So So true. And that's right off the bat. That's right at the beginning of the show. No, literally talk about starting off the show with high stakes. So Miguel de Cervantes is, is brought in to this prison area uh, like you said, it's not necessarily cells. It's just kind of this waiting area, waiting to be interrogated. And immediately they're like, all right, uh, what's you in for? And he says that he was a tax collector and basically told on the government for not... A church. Oh, was you're right, you're right. They, yeah. He told on the church for not doing taxes correctly and Mm, then sounds familiar and then the church was like to jail with thee Uh we need to like create a reason for him to be arrested instead of arresting people who actually need to be arrested like corruption at its at its like most basic level and he's there not only by himself but with his this kind of manservant this little you know uh helper guy Mm -hmm. now surrounded by men and women all in this area it has become the tradition for anyone who's coming into this area to be put on trial. They like hold their own trial because once again, you can't you can't really depend on <laughs> on the laws of what brought you there in the first place. They have their own trial to decide on who's guilty and who's not. And do, can you tell us if you remember? Because I love it so much. What they decide to charge him with? With being a bad poet. I yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you're you're a nice guy and kind of a bad poet, and uh, and he's like, well, so I, I'll charge I, you for that. Yeah, and he's like, well, I might be a bad poet, but I I probably I promise my intentions are pure, and yeah. can I please make a defense? Yeah, can mm-hmm. you hear me out? Can you hear my story? And they said, okay, fine. And he says, all right, well, in order to tell you my defense, I need to put it in to play form. I need to bring it to life uh, as a piece of theater because yeah. that's who I and am. And they also take, when he comes in, they take immediately, they take all of his stuff from him as well. Oh, good point. And, you know, they open his trunk, you know, they take everything from him. And he then brought in a trial. trunk. Yes. And in that With trunk is, uh, is all of these props and things, but mm-hmm. also his beloved manuscript. Yes. Which that we, they pull which out and right away it's, alert. it's the most important thing in the trunk. Which, yes, like you said, spoiler alert, ends up being Don Quixote. Yeah. Yes. Once again, not facts, people. This is all just beautiful (laughs) storytelling. So he begins. Oh, by the way, all of this is done without music. We haven't even had our opening musical number yet. Mm -hmm. All this has been done, spoken dialogue. And then we finally get our first number when he unveils this character. Yeah, this character of Alonso Quijana, who has created an alter ego named Don Quixote, and he sings the incredible Man of La Mancha. I just got bumps on my goose just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, we can all agree that this song is incredible. It has an amazing lyric. 
Can I read these lyrics real fast? Because of course. I love them so much. Hear me now, O thou bleak and unbearable world, thou art based and debauched as can be, and a knight with his banners all bravely unfurled now hurls down his gauntlet to thee. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. Uh, an amazing song, but can we all agree that the best rendition of this has always been Linda Etter? I was literally just about to say that <laughs> that version, I perform it too. I have a mix of it, and sometimes I'll just perform like just the song itself. It's so powerful. Her vocals are so incredible. Insane. It is truly like the end-all be-all, I am I Don Quixote of all time. Iconic. I've always been obsessed with it because it's such obviously a man song. I, she's literally mm-hmm. saying, I am I Don Quixote, the man of La Mancha. And it's such a power move. When she sang it on that Leading Ladies special, you've seen, you've seen the Leading Ladies of Broadway yes. special, right? Where she yes. sings this live. And it's, you know, all of these Broadway actresses, legendary Broadway actresses. And then here comes Linda Etter. And you kind of feel the audience be like, oh, Linda Etter, that's sweet that they <laughs> invited her. And then she comes out and just opens up this can of whoop-ass that is undeniable and I can't get enough of it. And she looks so cozy. She's just sitting there with this like three octave range in cozy house slippers. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. could not be more comfortable performing the crap and, out of this and, song. And to not sing Impossible Dream if you're going to choose a Man of La Mancha song. But me personally, <laughs> I think all, like you asked me like what's, what songs are my favorite and it's truly every single song on this album and the show, like I... I love every single one. And so to choose I Am I Don Quixote as her song and not something that everyone would know right off the bat, and then to sing it so incredibly is just like... It's It's such a boss move. That's what I love about musical theater, you know? Absolutely. making it your own, making a song your own that people don't expect and, and creating an iconic performance that people remember for years and years and years. Ah, that's the good stuff. That is the great stuff. All right, so talk to me a little bit about how you created your character. Where did Kiki come from? Kiki kind of came, I feel like she was always in me. And mm. I kind of had to find her. Because it's like when I look back, since I've I've done drag, I, I just celebrated five years in October of doing drag. So when I look back on like my life before, I feel like the tools were always there. I just mm. had to pick them all up and use them together. And mm. so it was, I was living with my parents who had moved from my hometown of Pensacola. They moved to Alabama. And I mm. knew no one there. I didn't grow up there. I didn't, you know, I had a job there when I was living with my parents for a little bit. And so that was really it. I had coworkers and my parents. And so I was very, very bored. I had nothing to do. I was there for several months. And my boyfriend at the time had gotten me into RuPaul's Drag Race um, Mm -hmm. and was like, you know, I really think you'll like it. I had like given it a chance before and I grew up in the South. So the only drag I kind of knew of was very like pageanty drag that I think was incredible. But I was like, oh, that's not for me. I'll never do that. And so I saw RuPaul's Drag Race and saw kind of the characters that could be possible for drag queens and and the skills and the talent that was outside my knowledge of what drag could be. So, you know, I I had my little Ben Nye makeup kit that I had in college for my makeup class. Uh With the bruise wheel. And 
Yes, and I had, you know, my mom's closet at my disposal. So I literally just put on some makeup and um, and I already had a name because I, like, in college, I randomly was like, I had learned that drag names could be puns. And so I was like, what would my drag name be if I were to drag? So I already had Kiki Ball changed because I wanted my theater, you know, to be a part of the character. And um, so, yeah, I started there and then I performed in a club in Montgomery, Alabama for like 10 people. That was my first performance. <laughs> yes. And, you know, off, I, off, and off, then off. when I would bop around for like different shows, I would I would do local nights at the drag bars like the nights I wouldn't have a show or something. And then when I moved to New York, it just kind of picked up after that. And now it's my full time gig. But I think with Man of La Mancha, like you said, like the drag of Don Quixote, it is he's putting on this character to become someone that will, for the prisoners, like help grab their attention and tell help a them story. understand him too. Yeah. Help them understand him, help them experience, you know, a, a story that's fantastical and exciting and putting on a costume and putting on makeup. And it's something that they haven't seen maybe ever before or something that they haven't seen in a long time. And they've been sitting in this prison and, you know, in this destitute, desolate prison. Um, and so he's giving them something to be excited by. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what drag kind of does for an audience is, you know, it is me, you know, I, I'm not, I'm a normal person, you know, without the makeup, but the second I put on makeup, a costume and a wig and heels, suddenly I become this like entity that when I walk into a room, everyone looks at me. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of like the same thing with like Cervantes, because that's kind of what he's doing to the prison. But then within the story, and this is another queer theme, is like he kind of, he finally realizes kind of who he feels like he is inside mm. and and kind of in a way comes out. I feel like it's Alonzo Quijana to Don Quixote is kind of a trans kind of relation because he kind of comes out as this new identity with this new name. He doesn't want to be dead named as Alonzo Quijana. He's mm. now Don Quixote. And, and if you can't accept that, he doesn't have any time for it. You know, mm. he doesn't even recognize the person that you're referencing as Alonso Quijana. And, you know, we see with his family later later on that they're kind of embarrassed of him and they don't want him to be this way, which can relate to queer themes in that family when people come out as gay or trans mm -hmm. or even a drag queen. They don't want anything to do with it. They want them to, to stop and put it away and, and stick, you know, or even politicians. They want people to just stay in the clubs and do what they do in the clubs and don't go out and be in the public eye. The and yeah, the community, you know, it's it's all, you know, what like we said earlier about what society tells us we should be. And so, you know, right away, it, it is drag. He puts on drag and, and attracts the prisoner's attention. And then as well as in the show, he kind of comes out as this new person. Wow. Again, that's really and we're right at the beginning of the show. So No, absolutely. And it, yeah. like the the amount of themes that are just dropped at our feet right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it, it's I love that there isn't an intermission and I don't know if it's still done that way, but it we almost Everyone I've the, done has had an intermission, but well, I, cause, cause I would prefer they want to sell without. something. Yeah. yeah. They want to sell concessions. Yeah. But I think we need the rest of the show to catch up to everything that's yeah. <laughs> really dropped in our laps in the, these first 10 minutes because it's so profound and to see how it plays mm -hmm. out is really, really exciting. Now, in addition to Miguel Cervantes beginning this story of Alonso becoming Don Quixote, 
Cervantes also has his little friend who came into the prison with him, who is now becoming a character in the story, Sancho. And Sancho is his squire, right? If, if Don Quixote is this knight, then Sancho is his squire. And the first destination on their great journey is a windmill <laughs> that Don Quixote says is a dragon. Go ahead. A giant. Yeah. Oh, he thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, he, they, you know, they're passing by on their trip and, and see this windmill that, in his madness, Don Quixote sees as a giant with four arms and ready to be fought and, and taken care of as a knight. So, uh, yeah, you know, he just goes for it. <laughs> he sees what and, he sees and, and believes and it. And jousts this uh, windmill, despite Sancho telling him, no, sire, uh, I think it's just a windmill. And so we're also able to laugh at it. I think that's one of the reasons why this is the first little chapter of his story is because there is a charming insanity to this character. We're like, it's ridiculous. There, there, there's no reason for him to think that this windmill is a giant, but like, we're kind of okay with seeing how it plays out. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's kind of the first indication that you have that he truly doesn't see reality, mm. you know, because then you get to the the inn with the muleteers and Aldonza and, you know, you you have to buy into the fact that he doesn't see them as who they are. So kind of to do that, you have to go with something really absurd first for the audience to realize, oh, this man is not right in his mind. He sees things that aren't real. So, you know, mm. I think I hadn't really thought of it until just now, but whenever we do that scene, I'm always like, here comes the damn windmill. Here we go. You know, it's just like, why, why is this here? Why is he doing this? We never see the windmill. There's never, mm-hmm. there's no fight it's all scene. There's stage. nothing cool about, yeah, it's all off stage. He comes back in and he's defeated by the windmill, you know, but now thinking about it, I'm like, oh, well, it helps the audience see that, you know, he truly is out of his mind and is not mm-hmm. seeing reality. So to that end, I applaud the book writer. So yeah. I think it's a well, good premise to set because up. Because then, like you said, the next big section which is kind of one of the most important is approaching this quote-unquote castle which is actually just mm-hmm. an inn but at the inn are all of these muleteers which what what is a muleteer i don't think i even know they are people that take care of the mules oh hello <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know they, they're oh, like the farm hands that's they the help base kinda... of the word yeah. jeff great so yeah exactly and um and at the inn is also this prostitute slash maid server named maid yeah. server named Aldonza. One of the most difficult roles to ever sing in musical theater. I mean, mm-hmm. she is kind of earthy and also soprano and belting high. Like it's mm-hmm. it's an incredibly awesome role, <laughs> can yeah. we just say? And also this is not like a hooker with a heart of gold type musical theater character. She is a full-on prostitute with mm-hmm. all of the stuff that comes with that. Yeah, it's not like Nancy from Oliver. Thank it's you. Like, Thank you. you know, That's she, exactly she the is, right way. She is dirty. She's had a hard life. She doesn't know her parents. Doesn't you know has has grown up in 1500s you know Inquisitor Spain, essentially you know, and in the story, and has 
I believe has grown up basically at this inn and always mm-hmm. kind of been this this wench and this this serve server and barmaid and and everything and then uh, you know obviously a prostitute comes with the territory eventually but yeah she's had a really hard life and so I, I think it really takes a lot from Don Quixote to really crack her shell because she's had to build a lot of walls up over her life. The first song she sings is called It's All the Same. And Mm -hmm. it's this really fascinating struggle for power where she, like all of the, the men in the inn are kind of reaching for her and groping at her throwing money at her feet saying, you know, are are you ready to go a round or two Aldonza? And she's fighting for power to say like, I do what I want when I want. And also, yes, I will do everyone. Mm-hmm. It's a really complex thing that yeah. she's that she's striving. I mean, when for. you when you grew up without any control over your life, essentially, you find ways that you can control a situation, you know, wherever you can. So, if that's her circumstances that she can't get out of, you know, it's a constant battle of I don't have control over my circumstances, but I can at least control who I have sex with when I have sex with them, you know? So it's her Mm -hmm. way of being in control of the situation. Absolutely. Now, in this situation is when Don Quixote, who, of course, as a knight, needs a lady to do everything for. He needs his Guinevere. He needs his the lady in his mind that will always fuel his chivalry and passion. When he sees her, he recognizes her as his great love, Dulcinea. Mm -hmm. This gorgeous song. Holy cow, this melody. All of these melodies, which are really beautiful and, and very Spanish in nature. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. And it score. was, it was at the time, it was one of, sorry, just quick. I, I have so much information about yeah. Man of La Mancha. At the time, Please. it was um, <clears throat> one of the first, like, orchestras to not have traditional stringed instruments. And they had a lot of, like, um, mm. Spanish guitars to help set Love the scene. That. There was not, like, a full orchestra. It was very reduced orchestra, and the stringed instruments were only, you know, flamenco guitars oh you can hear it it's mm-hmm. so it feels so special and unique don quixote you know addressing her as this gorgeous pure i mean truly mm-hmm. pure woman of virtue and light and love is incredibly incredibly confronting to her and and aldonza of course thinks that he's mocking her in the same way that every man has mocked her quote-unquote virtue, right? So how does she react? First, she is not happy about it, and she, you know, like you said, she thinks he's mocking her and and everything, and then she eventually leaves. He leaves, the innkeeper takes him out, and then all of the muleteers kind of make fun of the song that was just saying and use it in an even more, you know, villainous and and taunting way to her while all of this is happening cervantes outside of the story takes us to quixote and i'm I'm just going to refer to alonzo as quixote from here on out so that we're not confusing people too much cervantes takes us to quixote's family which i believe consists of his niece and housekeeper yes right Mm -hmm. and they have gone to visit which is interesting, the like the local priest, the mm-hmm. padre, to discuss what to do about this embarrassment in their family. 
and it's this brilliant song called "We're Only Thinking of Him." Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's like in a, it's in a confessional box. Thou doth protest too much. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. And again, yeah, in like, a confessional box, and it so relates to people now, where it's like, well, I'm only thinking of the kids, or I'm only thinking the of, children. Yeah, I'm thinking of the children, <laughs> or I'm thinking of I'm only thinking of the community. I'm only thinking of you know whatever. But really, they're thinking of themselves. They're not happy with the situation that someone else has put upon how them. it makes them look. how it makes them look as the family, how it makes them look as members of the community to have this madman in their family. And you know, we see later with the person that's engaged to Antonia, his niece, that he is also like, how am I expected to marry into this family? when there's a madman in the family. And so, you know, in true fashion, you know, whenever religious extremists or, or right-wing people or, you know, whatever you want to call them today in relation, you know, they go to the church and they say, oh, I've been such a good person. I've done nothing wrong. I, you know, I don't deserve this. Please help me figure this out. God, please help me figure this out pastor you know whatever and the pastor you know padre is hearing both sides of the story and he kind of sees that they are only thinking of themselves but of course the true brilliance of the song is that it's all called you know i'm only thinking of him but then every verse is what happens to me if what happens to me if you know in addition this fiance of the of the niece has, I think, an added piece of information to encourage him to figure this whole situation out because Quixote owns the land and the Mm -hmm. property. And if he has any hope of, like, inheriting all of this, they need to figure it out, Mm -hmm. right? So the fiancé and the padre decide to go on their own little quest to cure Quixote of his craziness. And he's a doctor, that's also another point that the oh, fiance is he? He's, oh, I think yeah, I forgot it's that. Dr. Carrasco. So I don't, mm. I think that from what I remember, I don't know if they ever specifically say what kind of doctor he is, but he's definitely like a well educated man that, you know, the Padre and he feel confident that with his expertise, he'll be able to kind of bring Alonzo back from the madness that he has fallen into. Yeah. All right. Now here's, this might be a little controversial. Sure. Um, As I was reading through the script, everybody who comes in contact with uh, Quixote are really interested in facts. And Don Quixote is not so much interested in facts. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we are kind of, I'm not saying we're politicizing the story, but if we are looking at things in terms of conservative and liberals, Mm -hmm. have we in any way on our side of things held so tightly to facts that we've kind of encouraged the other side to embrace their misinformation as an impossible dream or a Don Quixote Mm. type quest? Well, I did, I think maybe the last two Man of La Manchas I performed was during the Trump administration. And that was something that I did think about at the time was was kind of like, oh, Don Quixote is kind of like a Trump where he's going around and shouting all these lies and trying to make people believe them. And he's out of his mind and doesn't know what he's saying and views things as they aren't. And I think there is, you know, obviously 
there's two sides of the coin. You know, you can you can view it as idealistic. You can view it as fantastical and beautiful. You can also view it as there's this guy that is a liar. You know, and and that is kind mm. of how the family sees him as like he's just lying about everything. He this isn't who he is. This isn't who he's been. This you know he's fallen into misinformation by reading all these books. You know, which is very mm. much you know what we're seeing today. But also on the other side, you can say that about you know Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has banned a bunch of books and told schools to take books out because he believes the books are grooming children to be you know woke and be you know queer and. All of that, and so you like, like I said, there's there's two sides of the coin to that. Both sides, I think, view the other side as the liar, the person that's pushing misinformation, or you know, pushing this this society that isn't what's right and what's true. And so, you know, I think you can look at him both ways, and and I think that's the point of the show yeah. is like, who is the the villain? Who is the 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 good guy? Who is trying to do? you know, what's right. You know, some people can view the family, you know, the housekeeper and Antonia and Dr. Carrasco and the Padre as the good guys trying to save him, you know, but also mm -hmm. Don Quixote is the protagonist of the show. So you kind of have to, you know, you have to, to fall into his version of reality as well and see his side of the story and, and believe that as good and true. So it's tough, but it's, but so it's you know that's life. Well, it's, it's complex, no black and white. which is like actually what life is. Yeah, <laughs> which is complex, and that's what I love so much about musical theater is that by revealing the inner lives through this glorious music and really beautiful insights. Because should Don Quixote <laughs> have been arrested for destroying a windmill? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like destruction of someone's property because you thought it was a giant? Yeah. Yes, he would probably be taken to jail for yeah. that sort of thing. Is it also really interesting to learn from his quest and see how beautiful it is that he sees in Aldonza something that she doesn't even see in herself? Mm -hmm. That too is beautiful. Yeah, and you know? I think the difference between someone like Trump or, or someone that like George Santos that is constantly just spewing lies left and right you can't even keep track of what the truth is i think there's also intent and i think the intent behind don totally. quixote is not malicious at all in fact it's the complete opposite mm -hmm. he he views everything as he wants everything to be chivalrous and and kind and pure and he sees the good in everything and so i think that is kind of the difference of he's not really a, a trumpian character he is you know unlike we can say like harold hill someone who comes to a town maliciously to trick people that i would say is more of a mm -hmm. trumpian character of, of a liar mm -hmm. um with malicious intent but i think don quixote truly is just like uh, uh, trying just, to make the yeah, world trying to make the world better through his point of view mm -hmm. and, you know and i think that is what you said about how our side that is so you know hard on on telling the truth and being factual and and having information that is you know real you know i think that is kind of the well we lose a bit of the mystery and the magic of life when we only stick to not everything that is lawful is necessarily good if that makes sense. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, not mm -hmm. all laws are necessarily with the best intent at, sure. at harm reduction or, you know, any of that. Anyway, I could go on and on. No, that's so true. To me, what I'm walking away with from this little convo is it's always been the artist's responsibility to dream and bring those dreams to 
the masses and help inspire them. And if we as artists abandon those dreams, we've actually given up our power because our greatest power is to tell stories, is to inspire. And so I don't want to just shout and say, they're lying, they're lying, they're lying constantly. I want to also be putting my efforts into into this, mm-hmm. into telling the stories that truly inspire people, because that's what has been, been happening since the 1500s, and I'll be damned if I'm going to stop doing it in 2023, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is, because it's May. And we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together. And Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, You'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's musical theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code musicaltheater50 at factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Going through a lot of these amazing songs, Sancho sings I Really Like Him, which is just him saying why he sticks around Mm -hmm. with Don Quixote. Uh, That inspires Aldonza to self-reflect and think of, you know, what does he want of me? Uh, Don Quixote meets a barber who has a a a, a bowl a shaving for basin. you know mm-hmm. a, a shaving basin. Yes, that Don Quixote sees as the golden helmet of Mambrino. Uh, all of these great little uh, pieces. The Padre and Doctor Carrasco come upon Quixote, and and it seems that Padre has his own kind of turn of heart or mm-hmm. change of heart. And I think from the beginning, he was never quite like he's always kind of seen through the family of that they are only thinking mm. of themselves. And that's kind of what he sings about in that song earlier. Um, sure. You know, so I think he's he's already kind of like on the precipice of like he just wants to see what's going on for himself. And then once he sees it, he's yeah. like, oh, he's not doing any harm. He's just living in his own world. And so I think when he sings, oh, my God, I sing this song. To each is Dulcinea. Yes, to each is Dulcinea. You know, that is kind of his time to reflect and be like, you know, to each his own is basically what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And and he can live his own life and I'm living mine. But that doesn't mean our lives are at odds with each other. We can both live peacefully in the same world. And again, queer theme, queer theme, uh, especially with Mm -hmm. religion of, you know, religious people that understand that, you know, Yes, maybe, you know, my brother is very religious. He's a very religious Jew. And so he doesn't necessarily 
believe that being gay is something you're born with. He believe or he believes it's something you're born with, but he believes you can choose to act upon it or not in order to, you know, live to the way God wants us to. But for me as his brother, he doesn't judge me for living my life the way that I live it. Um, I don't believe it, you know, I, I'm not going to choose to live as a heterosexual, but he understands that I live my life, you know, the way I want to. He supports my drag, you know, everything. But he also lives in his own world of religion and what he believes. And so, mm. but we both live in the same world. We're both at peace with how we live our lives. And so I think that's kind of where the Padre is seeing Don Quixote at this moment is like, he's living his life the way he wants to, and he seems to be happy. And if he's not hurting yeah. anyone, then who am I to say what he should do? Which is a really nuanced piece of storytelling for a show that's taking place during the Spanish Inquisition. It could have been very easy to just say all religious people bad. Mm-hmm. But here, the the one person who truly understands and em- empathizes with what Don Quixote is trying to do is the Padre, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Yeah. Aldonza comes to Don Quixote and and provides the opportunity for the impossible dream. I always thought, for some reason, I always thought the impossible dream was like toward the end of the show. It's actually mm. smack in the middle, mm-hmm. right? That's usually where the intermission comes. Either, right? Either right, sure, after right after that, after that yeah. song. But Aldonza says, like, what are you doing? Like, what are your intentions? Because mm-hmm. I can sense that there's something different about you than, say, all the muleteers who are grabbing at my skirts, but... Uh, but can you please share with me what you believe? And he sings The Impossible Dream, which is just a perfect song. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> like, beginning to end. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you everything you need, a big ending, a build, verses, beautiful lyrics. It's the song of all songs. And it's also not trite. Mm-hmm. It's not him saying, this is the moment. This is yeah. the moment. This is the moment. No, <laughs> you know, not, and that's... not calling Frank Wildhorn out or anything, <laughs> but like it's a, it's a truly uh, like beautiful lyric, mm-hmm. poetic lyric. Yeah, it's all about seeing the good in things and 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 having hope when things are hopeless. You know, which mm-hmm. again resonates generation after generation of of you know if you don't have hope, what do you have? Nothing. So, yeah, beautiful song. Now, the kind of the the last half of the show is Don Quixote needing to be dubbed a knight. Mm-hmm. Even though he has decided he is a knight, he needs to actually have the ceremony. So he has the innkeeper, the one who's uh, who owns the quote-unquote castle, mm-hmm. uh, do the dubbing. Before that, he decides that he's going to go and fast. He's going to do a full fast to prepare for this great ceremony, which is just so pure. So he prepares for this knighting, right? The innkeeper knights him, knight of the woeful countenance. But then there's also this struggle with him and the muleteers. And he is victorious (laughs) somehow, despite like having fasted and not having any energy. And some of the muleteers are injured. Right after the knighthood, he goes to mend their wounds and Aldonza's like what are you doing and and I mean just incredible as like this act of chivalry he's like no I inflicted my wounds but they're still my brothers so I am going to adhere to them Mm -hmm. and she says well they're my enemies too so I'll take care of it oh Mm -hmm. so beautiful so she goes 
And that's when you really see the, the change end. with Aldonza yes, starting to... where she's buying into yeah. this. And so she takes it upon herself to go and help these men who have been treating her terribly this whole time. Like, talk about a true act of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've gotten emotional on the show. Mm. And as she's helping them, um, it becomes this rape scene. And it's not just like a rape scene from West Side Story. Like, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Did you have to do this scene? Yeah. How did you feel? Um, I mean, it's well, got to be rough. Yeah. I mean, the first time I ever did it, when we choreographed it, I had to, like, pull my director aside because it was really... I, I'm a victim of sexual assault as well. So it was... So sorry. It, thank you. But, you know, and I'm open about that. But it was it was really... really and now thinking about it again, I'm, I'm getting emotional too, remembering. Like, it was really difficult to be the aggressor in that situation Mm. um and then you have to have such an immense amount of trust between the muleteers and aldanza to even start that scene and and to do it night after night and it's it's such and again usually when when shows do it they have an intermission and then the start of act two is the abduction you know so it's not it's it's a terrible way to to kind of start an act and also just a terrible scene to take part in and you know it is choreographed kind of like west side story but it is definitely like you they beat her up they rape her they carry her off her you know her limp body they carry off stage to further you know do things to and it is it is and again for the 60s for 1965 to do that kind of scene in the middle of a show it's heartbreaking and it's it's horrible but it also shows like how cruel people can be to people mm-hmm. that are trying to help them or people that you know haven't haven't done anything wrong you know they're just existing in their world and and you know just being in the wrong place at the wrong time with a group of angry and even men. trying trying to change yeah. their outlook on life yeah. you know she's trying to put effort into making her life a little bit different and and to sing little bird on top of that such a beautiful song on its own and then to have the dissonant chords on top of it and truly something that if if i could cut one thing from that show i would cut that scene but it's important to the story to have it but it's it's just a, a really hard scene to do I feel like it really halts any progress for her, mm-hmm. right? To believe that the world could be any different. Mm-hmm. I mean, to go back to your queer themes, how how brave do, do we all have to be to live our truth or, you know, to just live in general? Like, maybe it's not even queer. Maybe it's just anybody who tries to live their truth in this world. Mm-hmm you don't do it easily you don't do it without a lot of contrast and and hopefully it's not as traumatic as what Aldonza goes through but sometimes it is um she sings this song called Aldonza it's kind of like her impossible dream in in a way in she tells her entire story in this song and we get to know exactly who she was who she came from kind of like what you said I feel like it all comes from this song Mm -hmm showing that her life has never been easy. It'll never be easy. And she's not falling into 
it, you know, kind of in a way that we said about escapism kind of helps people get out of their situation. Sometimes people use blunt realism to be like, this is my situation. This is what I'm in. I can't change it. So I might as well be okay with it. And I think that is kind of where she's mm. at at this point in the show and where she was at before kind of she met Don Quixote. You know, like you said, I think that's a great way of putting it. It's kind of her her response to the impossible dream is, no, we can't mm-hmm. dream. We have to be real. And this is my reality. And you need to see that even through your madness. You need to understand that this is my life. Like every time I hear that song, no matter who who is singing it, whatever actress I've been, you know, has been the Aldanza in our show, it is powerful. It is like an incredible Mm. song that really truly describes a character to a T and why they are who they are. Yeah. Amen. The end... Mm -hmm. I say in quotes of Don Quixote comes in the form of the Knight of Mirrors, which is actually Dr. Carrasco, right? Yes. He has realized that the way to defeat the craziness that is Don Quixote is to come to battle as a knight himself. And he has with him an army of shields that act as mirrors. And when all of those shields are put together, they force Don Quixote to see himself for who he actually is. And I guess it works? Mm-hmm. Question mark? Yeah. He sees Alonso again and is taken back to where he came from, now in almost a catatonic, depressed state. Yeah, it kind of shocks him back into reality almost where he you know Mm -hmm. it is kind of you have to kind of buy into it that he's like taken out by the mirrors but you know it it is kind of and again (laughs) queer theme um you know i was thinking about it and just being you know trans themes really resonate with don quixote and alonso because it's kind of like the the attack on don quixote is is saying no this is who you are this is who you've always been we're showing you who you are from how we see you and kind of forcing mm. him back into the closet of who he used to be but doesn't want to be anymore. And so I think the shock of that, you know, we buy into it, but the shock of, of being forced back to who you don't want to be kind of renders him weak and ill. You know, it is kind of, it, it is a little bit to buy into the fact that it really truly takes him out. But no, it's... It's beautiful, though. Yeah. I mean, because they're making theater. In case anyone's forgot, we're all still in the prison. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, we're to- I'm totally here in this story, but, like, the reality is I'm looking at people in a prison. Yeah, and, you know? throughout, you know, throughout the, the captain of the guard pulls someone up. They're screaming the whole way. It interrupts the entire story. Sure. You know, so we get reminders that we're constantly, the captain comes in and it's like, uh, uh, Cervantes, you, your time is coming, you know. So then he's like, "I have to hurry. I have to get this show finished. Yeah, I have to finish yeah, the story." You know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where we're at. He's currently in in the house with his niece and his housekeeper and the padre and Doctor Carrasco, and he is kind of rendered unconscious by this attack by Carrasco. Aldonza comes back. She forces her way into the home, into the room. And it's because she doesn't want to be Aldonza anymore. Mm -hmm. She only wants to be known as Dulcinea. 
Oh, that's what I want. I want to spend my time being around people who make me feel like the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. Not who are reminding me that I'm never going to be the person I want mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> you know, and... You know what I mean? Yeah, and and <laughs> I hate to be the queer themes fairy here, but, you know, <laughs> it's okay, finding chosen <laughs> family, you know, finding a family mm, that, totally. you know, you you can relate to that makes you better than, than the family you grew up with or, you know, the that gives you something that your biological family can't give you. And that is the true, the acceptance to be who you really are, who you want to be mm. and who you see yourself as. And I think that's what Don Quixote inspires in Aldanza. And it's, uh, it's symbiotic too, because mm-hmm. by her coming in, and singing to him his own message, right? She sings this little reprise of the impossible dream. He stands back up again as Don Quixote and says, all right, I, I am, you're right. I am the man of La Mancha, let's go. But his new conversion is interrupted by his frail mortal body and he falls dead. Mm-hmm. So he dies here at the end. Sancho is just oh. completely distraught, yeah. right? And Aldonza says that, you know, Alonso may be dead, but Don Quixote lives in all of us. Mm-hmm. And and he says something like, you know, thank you, Aldonza. And she replies, my name is Dulcinea. Uh, my name is Dulcinea. It gets me every oh my time. Gosh. It gets me every time. Ugh, uh, it's so good. So th- that is kind of the end of that story. But then we go back into the prison. Mm-hmm. And I mean, after that... After that, you just see this prison has been transformed. Mm-hmm. Cervantes has told his story. The, the commander comes in to take him to his trial, but not before the prisoners have all found him not guilty. Uh, they give him his manuscript. They give him his possessions. And Cervantes goes up the staircase to you know, face the future while everybody sings. The Impossible Dream. Ugh, and it's different lyrics than the last time. And they every single time I sing it, I cry. It's just like the... the Because vo- also there's not a lot of harmonies in the show in general. Mm. There's rarely a time mm. where everyone's singing at the same time and sings in harmony. It's like Golden Helmet of Mambrino, The Impossible Dream at the end, and I think like maybe one more time. But so when the enti- you have the entire chorus rarely singing together and at the end they're all singing this rousing anthem of of reaching the impossible star it, as he goes up the stairs to meet his fate it like every single time it makes me cry every single time it gives me chills it's hard to get through every it's a hard show in general to get through as an actor but that mm. truly is is one of the most beautiful moments of any show I've ever been a part of is is singing the finale of Man of La Mancha. That's incredible. So what do you think we're left with as an audience after seeing this show? Well, I think kind of we view it the same way the prisoners view it, is we come into it skeptical of what we're going to see. And and I mm. think, you know, we are constantly left with the feeling, you know, obviously there's a lot of sadness in the show. It's a very dark, heavy show, especially for a 90-minute show. You know, so I think sure. I think every time, in my experience, audiences are moved, and and one of the things that the the show really gets 
you hits you over the head with every time is is to have hope and to see the good in things and you know to live as your authentic self and so i think audiences no matter who they are how they you know relate to the world or how they see themselves can relate to the messaging of that you know no matter where you lie on any spectrum always in my opinion the best american musicals have that undying sense of hope mm-hmm. i completely agree Thank you so much for doing this with me. Of course. I'm what so happy to join you. total joy. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at amusicalpodcast. We've got Patreon exclamation point where for only $1 a month you can gain access to bonus episodes and support the show. We have a great time on Patreon exclamation point. Also, we have our T Public store where you can put many awesome designs on lots of things and all of the profits from those purchases will go to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Above all, you guys, you know I love you. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this podcasting community. Hey, Miss Kiki Ball Change, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? I make it very easy. You can follow me on all social media at Kiki Ball Change. That's K-I-K-I. Ball like the sphere and change like what we need in this world. Amen. (laughs) Amen from the church. That's great. That's awesome. I'd love to see you sometime next yes. time I'm in New York. Yeah, let me know. Thank Gotta you come so much to one for of your having shows. me. I, I, this, you know, I I love the pod. I listen to many, many episodes. And I was like, you know what? Maybe yeah. he'll have me. I know I'm, I haven't been on Broadway, but I'm a star of my I own didn't right. even, absolutely, <laughs> I did not even hesitate. I was like, yes, please. Thank you. Let's do this. And I didn't, when I what, first reached I out to you, I didn't even plan on talking. I didn't even think about queer themes in Man of La Mancha. But I'm really glad that, that we did this because it really had me thinking about a lot of really interesting themes that can relate to the queer community. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. Thank you so much for, for coming up with the idea. It was brilliant. <laughs> Everybody out there, thank you for listening. And remember, you know what? Dream the impossible dream. Like, that's what we got to say. Yeah. Dream it. Dream it. Be it. Do it. Live it. Just dream it from another musical. Uh. Be it. <laughs> How's that for queer theme? That was great. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.